Well, as I tell you, every time I come, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to Eastwood. I'm telling you, let us go to Eastwood. And uh, what a privilege it is to be here and to look around and see friends that I've known for years and be in a church that I've preached in for years. And uh, of course, you know how I love the Ewings, and they're just like family. And I told Brother Ewing, he was talking to me weeks, weeks back, that he he get through over there on uh, uh, Wednesday afternoon. He said, I want to get through time to drive home uh, on uh, Wednesday night. I said, you're not going to do any such of a thing. You mean you told him that? I've told him that several times. I said, you're going to stay there because you're going to be weary after your, uh, your treatments. And uh, I'm going to come take care of that church on Wednesday night. And here I am. So, you know, it's always nice when somebody asks you to come. <laughs> but it's so good to see all of you and appreciate it. And let's stand behind our pastor and pray for him. He is going to be all right. We're believing God for that. We're going to feed our faith and starve our fears. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm fed up with hurricanes. sat up there in Alexandria for several days in the dark and it was hot and uh, we cooked on a Coleman stove on my front porch with a gas stove and, and uh, ran on batteries and finally somebody brought me a generator and got that on my freezer and, my, and I made it, you know, kind of like turning things back 75 years ago. God bless you. So good to see all of you. Sister Shirley Rhymes, I'm glad to see you. Who's that old man standing next to you? i tell you the truth. Nice-looking lady like you. You better watch him. Brother Bob, good to see you too. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, this is Wednesday night, and you know, if you're familiar with the other times I've been here, that when I'm here on Wednesday, I usually teach from the Word of the Lord. And by the grace of God, that's what I, I want to do. Sister Tenny's not able to be here tonight. Uh, my granddaughter's having her 17th birthday party tonight, so grandmother preferred to stay home for a birthday party than to come with me for grandkids. Can you believe that? Yeah, y'all can believe it. I see the way you're shaking, especially you older ones. Turn with me. 1 Samuel chapter 14. And I want to uh, thank Brother Jeff Ferris for accompanying me tonight so good to have friends that you can call on in time of need. 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you want to stand for the reading of the word. 1 Samuel 14, beginning with verse 1. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over, let us go over to the Philistine garrison which is on the other side. But he told not his father, that is Saul. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of 
Gibeah. He went as far away from the conflict as he could get. And the word uttermost means on a precipice. He must have been right at the top of a cliff somewhere. And uh, under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahai, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phineas. Now, Ichabod's brother, that would be Ichabod's nephew. And you remember who Ichabod was. Uh, hold that thought. Um, son of Eli, the Lord's priest, and Shiloh, wherein an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock. Everybody say sharp rock. On one side, and a sharp rock. Everybody say sharp rock. On the other side, and the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Seath. The forefront of the one was situated northward, one pointed northward, over against Mishmash, and the other southward, the other, the other rock pointed south, over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, come and let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And the armor bearer said unto him, Do all that's in thine heart turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to your heart. Verse 13. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, the armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And verse 14 said all this took place on a half acre. I want to talk to you about between a rock and a hard place. There was a passage between two rocks, and he even named the rocks. Has anyone here ever been in a passage, a tight place, between a rock and a hard place? Can I get a witness? I should say, has there anybody that hadn't been there? You may be seated. The Philistines had buffeted Israel, and Saul, the great leader, was somewhat discouraged, but his son, Jonathan, got a spirit of enough is enough. The Philistines were up on a crevice, or rather up on a cliff that was about a half acre in size, and they were taunting him, making fun of him, and finally... In spite of the fact that they were outnumbered, in spite of the fact that the armies of Israel were in fear, in spite of the fact that they didn't have any weapons, Jonathan said, enough is enough. I'm tired of living between this rock and a hard place. There's a higher plane that the enemy's occupied. I'm fixing to evict him, and I'm going to the next level. Anybody here want to go to the next level? Well, sometimes you got to tell the devil, enough is enough. Say, let's say that. Did you hear that, devil? 
we, we admit that we're between a rock and a hard place. You know, the Bible said nothing is too hard for the Lord. But the word hard is there, which means that hard times will come. He did say nothing is too hard for the Lord. That indicates that it's hard, but it's not too hard for the Lord. Now, sometimes we need our thinking irrigated to understand that. You see, we're employed by the Holy Spirit to duplicate the spirit of heaven on earth. And the spirit of heaven is one of victory. Lucifer, the devil, and his crew were evicted thousands of years ago. And he wants us to live with a heaven's mentality on earth. That regardless of how things look now, I am lifting my eye level to the higher ground and to victory. I'm not going to live in a slew of despond. You know, sometimes people say, well, I wish God would speak to me. Well, our faith has to outlast God's silence. God puts no limitation on faith and faith puts no limitations on God. And the enemy was taunting him. Now, Jonathan was the king's son. He could have said, you know who I am? You know where I've been? And, and the devil loves to taunt the king's kids. And say, look where I am and look where you are. In fact, David said, when I considered the prosperity of the wicked, I saw how high they were. He said, I almost slipped. Well, what kept him from slipping? He said, then I went to the house of the Lord and I saw the end of the thing. And I knew not to judge the end by the immediate. That ultimately it was going to end all right. And I don't know where you are, but I've come to tell you, everything's going to be all right. You're in the house of the Lord and here's where you get your perspective. That's why you need to come to church. It helps our stinking thinking. Samuel's a good book. I like the book of Samuel. You find a sheep herder that became a king. You find a cowboy chasing donkeys and he becomes a king. You find an ordinary boy from an ordinary family that was dysfunctional. He becomes a prophet. That gives you hope. Now in 1 Samuel 13 and 6 says they were in a straight place, which means a tight place. Now in that area there were pits. If you'll read the context before that you'll find there were pits and there were caves and there were thickets and Saul and all of his army had gone into the caves, the pits, the thickets had gone to the uttermost part to get as far away from the conflict as they could. They already had a defeatist mentality. You see the devil defeats us up here. Don't ever let the devil choose the battleground. He'll choose the mind. He'll get you to thinking uh, on the basis of circumstances. Well, things look bad and things taste bad and things smell bad and things feel bad. So things must be bad. But there's a sixth sense in the Holy Ghost that tells us God is still in control. I'm between a rock and a hard place and a straight place now, but I see higher ground. And I'm not going to stop till I get there. You know, setbacks can be setups for comebacks. And here was Saul, hiding. 
I, I mentioned the fact that they didn't have any implements of war. 1 Samuel 13 and 20, it tells us that God's people had to go to the Philistines, blacksmiths, to even get anything sharpened. They, they did not have any spears or swords. The only two spears or swords were the ones that Jonathan and Saul had. But how in the world are you going to fight? And that's the first thing we think about is fighting. But the blacksmiths of the Philistines were smarter than that. Uh, the spear is what opened the ground, a sharp instrument to open the ground, to drop the seed in for their harvest. So it wasn't just to keep them from fighting, but they took away their implement that would help signify the next harvest. And that's what the devil, to get us so distracted until we get our mind off of planting seed for the next harvest. We only think of a spear. Well, they took their spear. They're fighting. No. They, they had a dual purpose, sharp instrument. And all, all that the children of Israel had was a few harvest tools. It, you can read listed what they had. I don't have time, but it, it's there. But they were all harvest tools. But you don't need a harvest tools if there's no harvest. So he likes to kill things in the seed stage. Now what the devil would like to do is the word is the seed. He'd like to kill what I'm saying right now in the seed stage. Because if it ever gets in the ground and begins to grow, there's going to be a harvest. He likes to stop revival in the seed stage. And I don't care how much harvest equipment you've got. You can have the best singers and even the best preachers. But if there hasn't been any seed sown. Well, they had a plow. Yeah, but that just prepares the ground. He wanted to keep the seed out of the ground. They were cutting off the mean to the end. God's looking for molders and shapers, not movers and shakers. There's a lot of people who are in church, but they're not in Christ. They've never caught on to the fact that, yeah, living for Jesus every now and then, you're going to get in a tight place between a rock and a hard place. And all of this is to distract you, but you never take your mind off of the fact that though the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, Looks like we're not, we're not equipped like the enemy is. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal or earthly, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds of the enemy. Now, the enemy has strongholds. First, the devil gets a toehold, and then he gets a foothold, and then he gets a stronghold. If you can keep him from getting a toehold, there'll be no foothold, and there'll be no stronghold. Keep, who wants the devil's stinking feet in your mind? I don't even want his little toe in my thinking. I'm telling you, everything's going to be all right. You may be between a rock and a hard place. Keep a climbing. God wants to bless us. Well, we don't have this. We don't have that. God doesn't want to bless you just to raise your standard of living. He wants to bless you to raise your standard of giving. And if we can think of it on that line. Oh, God. We're, you know, we're so immortal. 
and, uh, and armored with the miraculous. If I ask how many of you like to see a miracle, oh yeah, we all want to see a miracle. There's never been a miracle in the Bible without a crisis. Now if I ask how many want a crisis, ooh, but there's no miracles. Every miracle Jesus performed, there was a crisis that preceded it. And some things are just, I get so tired of people dragging God in for inquisition over things that are just inconveniences. But if they, yes, we want to see the miraculous, but we don't want the crisis that comes before the miraculous. And Israel was in a crisis. They were between a rock and a hard place, and the army had abdicated its position. And any field you abandon, you give to the devil by default. I'm, you know, I'm just going to give up. God wants us to learn to discipline our lives to walk in blessing. He doesn't just want us to live from crisis to crisis, but to walk in constant blessing. The more abundant life. And there's got to be a harvest, and there's got to be seed. And the seed, Jesus said, is the word. Cain killed his brother at harvest time. There's a harvest-killing spirit. He had just brought the first fruits. It was harvest time. He killed his brother. You, you get a good revival started the first thing you know. Not in Eastwood. Somebody will rise up. There will come a brother killing spirit. You remember, remember Moses? He killed that uh, Egyptian that was beating up on his brothers and hit him in the sand. And the next day he found two of his brothers fighting. Two Israelites. And he said, you boys, you shouldn't do that. Hey, hey, let's have peace. You know, God's getting ready to get us out of here. They said, who do you think you are? You're going to kill us like you did that? Oh, the jig is up. And he had to run because he knew his picture would be in every post office. Wanted dead or alive, call Pharaoh. If you want something covered up, you better put it in something deeper than sand. Now look, I don't know, God has second best. If, if he, uh, on the potter's wheel, it, it wouldn't yield to what the potter wanted in the 18th chapter of Jeremiah, so he made it again. He had a second plan. It'd never be what I intended it to be. But thank God the second best would never know what I intended it to be. But it wouldn't yield to the original. It stopped too soon. It would not yield to well, I don't, I don't know what God had. God could have had in mind that he was going to raise Moses up then and deliver him. But because two brothers got in a fight, and we don't even know what they were fighting about. He had to run to the wilderness for 40 years. And he was 40 years in the wilderness with his father-in-law Jethro. Then when they finally got out, they were 40 years in the wilderness with Israel. That put the whole program of God off 40 years. It was 40 years longer before Christ was born. All because two brothers got in a fight. Everything could have been accelerated 40 years, possibly, if those two brothers hadn't gotten a fight at the wrong time, right at the time of deliverance, right at the time of the greatest exodus. You folks aren't getting it. I'm going to preach over here. Do you understand? What two brothers fighting 
and we don't even know what they were fussing about. Probably didn't amount to much. Didn't. Y'all don't like that. I'll go back to something else. But, but there's, there'll come a harvest-killing spirit. And any... Lord, help me. So... Anything that you can use for sowing and reaping can become a spear and a sword for fighting. You know, there are harvest warriors and there are harvesting warriors. But you've got to have people that will allow the seed to open and receive it and be planted and to allow a gestation period. And there was no sword, no spear. And Saul was running. Saul ran from the Philistines. Jonathan ran to them. When you get between a rock and a hard place, there's a running from and a running to. Israel was running from Goliath. David was running to Goliath. Israel was saying, look how big he is. David was saying, look how big my God is. You know what David called him? He said, you uncircumcised Philistines. Now, that was sanctified cuss words. You need some good sanctified cuss words for the devil. Now, let me tell you what he was telling him. The Jewish boys were circumcised at eight days old. He was saying, Goliath, when I was eight days old and put in the covenant by circumcision, I was stronger then than you are now. Because I'm a child of the covenant. You are nothing but an uncircumcised Philistine. Hallelujah. And Paul tells us that New Testament circumcision is water baptism. That's what puts you in the covenant. And if you're in the covenant, you're going to be all right. Even if you're... Yeah. You uncircumcised Philistines hear that? Stronger in eight days than you are when you're a giant because we're in the covenant. Death can't kill what won't die. Nothing can pluck us from our Father's hand. Oh, God. Give us a spirit of encouragement. Now, They said, uh, Jonathan said, come, let's go over. And the armor bearer said, whatever's in your heart, I'll do. He didn't say what's in my understanding. He said, you're the leader. And all it's got to be is in your heart, and I'll follow. Just put it in your heart. I'll follow. Let's go over. We got to have a let's go over spirit. That's teamwork. Let's go over. But look how steep it is. Look at the rock and the hard place. Look how many Philistines there are at the top of this cliff. Let's go. They never even talked about the mathematics of it. He said, look, it's nothing but the Lord to save by many or by few. Israel never won or lost on the basis of numbers. Israel always won or lost on the basis of their relationship with God. Their relationship with God was right. They could bring the walls of Jericho down.
But when their relationship with God was wrong, a little city like Ai beat up on them. You win or lose not on the size of the enemy or your own strength, but on your relationship with God. So they said, let's go over. I like that, let's go over spirit. Over hills, over barriers, over traditions, over rocks, over hard places, over self-imposed limitations. Let's go over. You know, if problems define you, solutions will evade you. I've known something, some people, all they were ever defined for was their problems. I mean, every time you looked at them, they were a problem. Well, if problems are going to define you, solutions are going to evade you. You don't ever let a, a present crisis name your future. Last time I was here, I told you about, about when Ichabod was born, his mother was dying, and and the ark had been taken. She said, call his name Ichabod, which means the glory is departed. We've lost the ark. Why did she let a present crisis name her future? And way down the line, the nephew of that thing is still living. Why didn't she name him the glory is coming back? Because it did. Don't ever let a present crisis name your future. Everything's going to be all right. Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. Living or dead, we've got it made. You can't beat that. But I'm honest enough to tell you, you can get between rock and a hard place. The garrison and the stronghold of the Philistines is on the other side. He said, let's go over. The promised land's on the other side, Moses. Let's go over. Promised land is over Jordan. Joshua, let's go. We've got to have a let's go over spirit and believe that it'll happen. The enemy had a, a camp in a prized territory. When the battle was over, Jonathan and his armor bearer were on higher ground. And they had to seize God's half acre. Didn't look like much, but it was a place of total victory. You have to, why, why fight over a half acre? You've got to draw a line somewhere. You know, there was a man in a uh, uh, in the Bible that took a stand in a pea patch he whipped the Philistines over a pea patch now why in the world in the midst of a great battle would you fight over a pea patch because brother David you got to take a stand somewhere if you give up the pea patch first thing you know he'll have the whole farm sin is greedy don't let a little bit of it get a hold of you because it, 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 it will, don't even, I, I've often said that if, if, if something cannot affect your spirit, it cannot affect your destiny. But if it affects your spirit, it'll affect your destiny. I told a man on the phone today, I said, you, you know, one wrong relationship can forever change your destiny. He got quiet. I said, okay, ask Samson. One wrong relationship with Miss Delilah forever changed his destiny. You better be careful who you run with, who you listen to. I'm not a garbage disposal. I don't want to hear all a bunch of junk. Well, amen or oh me. And the Bible said that Jonathan didn't tell his father. Why? Because everything God tells you, everybody else won't understand. 
So sometimes, you know, you just do what Mary did. Ponder it in your heart. I've often asked preachers, are you married to your vision or are you married to your people? You better be married to your vision. Because hard places make high places. Actually, to get to this high place, there's these two rocks and a very narrow passage. They were literally between a rock and a hard place. Why, why, why? Look, there's approximately 60 questions in the book of Genesis. There's 168 questions in the book of Psalms. There's 180 questions in the book of Matthew. But there are 350 questions in the book of Job. Why 350? Why so many in the book of Job? Because Job is a book about life. And life has a lot of questions. And learning to live with unanswered questions by trust. If all of our questions were answered, we wouldn't even need trust. And what was Jonathan's father doing? He wasn't involved in what God was doing, I'll tell you that. Not at all. Let me tell you where, where he was. Saul was under a fruit tree, a pomegranate tree. Now, pomegranate's good, but you've got to pluck the seed. Anybody ever eat pomegranates? They are full of seed. And there he was just sitting under the tree. It didn't say anything about him getting any fruit. Worrying. And worry is the interest you pay on trouble before it gets to you. Don't let me sit under a tree in the shade and not eat and miss what God's doing and miss the seed of today. That was Saul's problem. He offered sacrifice prematurely. Couldn't take direction. He wasn't a team player. He was fearful. He caved in. He was sitting under the word, the seed, not fighting he would not listen to the prophetic voice, Saul. Now, he could sit under the seed and say, you see how much seed we've got? You know, some people, you see how much truth we've got? Well, thank God. But if you're sitting in the seed, in the shade, not doing anything about it. He was on a precipice, one step, and he could have lost his balance. And there he sits, under the seed. I got the seed. But you're not eating it. You're not putting it in the harvest. It's not growing. All you're talking about is you're in the shade. You know, sometimes, Brother David, I thought if laying on hands don't help them, I wish God would give me a throat ministry. You can't just sit in the shade and say, we got the seed, we got the truth. There's territory that the devil's on that needs to be taken. There's higher places that we can go, and we can't get hung up on our temporary rock and a hard place. Jesus knows all about that. He was the rock of ages, but they put him in a rock when he died in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. That was a hewn out place in a rock. And they laid him on a rock, which was the slab. 
And then they put a rock in front of the door. Now he was in a rock, laying on a rock, with a rock block in the door. But our rock got off of the rock, stood up in the rock, and moved the rock. And he is alive forevermore. He's been between a rock and a hard place. And he knows how to come out of it. If the spirit of he that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Jesus from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. Stand up in the midst of that rock. Tell the devil I'm going over. Right in the middle of it. That's the example of Jesus. Oh. Praise God. So there he was. And there was Saul. Bless old Saul. God help him. Saul's religion was Ichabod's nephew. That's a fourth carbon copy of the glories departed. Now the glory departed is weak. But he is a fourth carbon. Is that weak religion? You don't ever let your present hard place name you, or you'll get weaker and weaker and weaker. Yeah, Saul just wanted to hang out under the word, but never do anything, stay distance. There wasn't any move of God under that tree. Because of the priest that he had in the company, he was vested, but he didn't have any glory. He was a self-serving priest and told Saul what he wanted to hear. Thank God for preachers that don't just tell us what we want to hear. And between the passages, verse 4, the Bible said, between, there's something in the betweens. You know, some people are always, we all go between, but you don't live in the betweens. But there's some people that live in the betweens. They're between houses, between jobs, between churches, between consecrations. Never reach the goal because they're living in the, in the betweens. I mean, it's a passage. It's not a place that you pitch your tent and live. Uh, you, you've heard me say it before. Years ago, I had a preacher tell me, he said, Brother Tenney, I'm going through hell. I said, well, don't stop there. Just of all places, you don't want to stop. It's hell. Just keep a trucking. That's one of those in-betweens. You'll get fried. You'll get boiled. You'll get sunburned. Mm. Jonathan doesn't avoid the hard places. Now, there were two rocks there. One of them was named Bozeth and the other Seneth. And there was this passage. And first he said, I, I'm going to have to go through this tight place. And once you make up your mind that you're going through and submit to God, uh, Jonathan was criticized and questioned, but he was determined, I'm going over. And what they literally had to do to get, after they got through, to get up the precipice, it was a, a hand over hand and a foot over foot. They had to hold one another, and it didn't matter who's on top now or who will be on top later. We've got an objective that's bigger than our prestige. And they went over hand and knees, and that's the way you get over hands and knees, fasting and praying and holding on to others. Uh, 
and on top of that, these two rocks, bad enough to be, be between a rock and a hard place, but one of them was pointed north and the other one was pointed south. You ever been there? Where it looked like one, one thing was saying go this way and something else was saying go that way and you're already between a rock and a hard place and everything around you is pointing in different directions. But they looked up at the goal and said, we're not going to let this rock hard place point in every direction. This kaleidoscope of emotion and feeling, we are going up. You see, faith never grows in the house of uncertainty. You got to know what you're talking about. Jesus came through. Now, these two rocks, Bozes means shining. Now note this. And Seneth means thorns. They were between shining and thorns. Now Jesus came through. When he was born, the stars were shining over Bethlehem. But when he ended up, a crown of thorns was in his head. So he knows how it is to live sometimes when it's shining and other times when it's thorns. A perfect example of our Lord. And don't ever worry about thorns. They just mean there's roses higher. Keep a climbing. It was the Philistines. Spear. The enemy's spear that brought the greatest harvest. When Jesus was on the cross, they thrust that spear. That was a harvest spear. And opened his side. When they did the seed of the New Testament church, they thought they were killing him, but the life is in the blood. They were opening the spiritual soil with that spear for the New Testament church. You know what I want to say? Checkmate. You thought you killed him, you put an end, but that spear that opened his side was the spear that opened the ground for redemption. Hallelujah. Oh, don't you love Jesus? And the enemy said, well, come on up. Oh, painful to climb on top. And Hey, there's only one jewel in the New Jerusalem that wasn't made by pressure. All of those jewels you read about in the 12 foundations, uh, in our English, they would be diamonds and sapphires and emeralds and, and, and you name it, topaz, it would all be there. There is one that's not made by pressure. One is made by pain, sorrow, and death. And that's the pearl. The pearl become, is a grain of sand that gets in the little oyster and irritates it. A pearl is a tribute to a conquered irritant. And the 12 gates of heaven are 12 single pearls. Not a bunch of pearls together. 
gate of one pearl. I'd like to have seen the oyster. But Jesus is the pearl of great price. And the entrance to our holy city is through pain, sorrow, and death. That's what our pearl did on Calvary. And that's what opens the city to me and you. He was willing to go through pain and sorrow and death to give me entrance because the pearl causes pain to the oyster and sorrow and finally to give it up it causes death to the oyster and so it is with Jesus Saul was hiding from the plan Jonathan was looking for a sign to get in and he said look if the fellows tell us to come up we'll know that that's a sign and they said hey come up and he came up and when he did there was a battle they took a stand how they did it I don't know but when they got up they defeated that whole garrison of Philistines with that single sword and the enemy fell before them and we've got single sword one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. If you're between a rock and a hard place and coming through a tight passage, all I can tell you is don't let the voices from the past, don't let anybody sitting under the shade tree keep you back. In spite of the pain and the sorrow and the death, you keep pushing and you keep climbing. Because God is going to make a way. They came out in the, and you know when they won the victory, then all the rest of them came out in the open. You know, from where they, and it's, it's surprising how when somebody will go out in victory, you help inspire others to come out and get in the battle. And it was only a half acre, but it was God's half acre. And it was a strategic place. There is a higher plane for all of us. But we've got to make up our mind that to get there, there's going to be a rock and a hard place and look like pointing in the opposite direction. And we're going to get in some tight places to get through. But if we'll get together in our teamwork and hands and knees and keep a climbing and not paying attention to negative voices and feed your faith and starve your fears, there's higher ground for every one of us. My God has not planned any defeat. Don't get hung up on your rock and hard place and tight passage. You just keep a climbing. You keep a climbing. You keep a climbing. But I don't understand. Keep a climbing. I don't know. Keep a climbing. Where is help going to come? Keep a climbing. Uh, what am I going to do? Keep a climbing. Somebody give me answers. Keep a climbing. I can't figure it out. Keep a climbing. I wish things would you keep a climbing. You're between a rock and a hard place. But someday we're going to walk on streets of gold and be ushered through gates of pearl. And behold the Lamb. This is a congregation of winners. We're not a congregation of losers. I've come to tell you, everything's going to be all right. I said, everything's going to be all right. Somebody shout, everything.
stand and praise him. Hallelujah. 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 Devil, you're a liar. We're covenant children. We're not uncircumcised Philistines. Living or dead, we got it made. Woo! Anybody here ever been where I preached about? I'm not going to ask you if anybody's there right now. But oh, my friend, just to, just keep trucking. Just keep it moving. Keep it going. And if it looks like one point's one way and one another, and everybody else is in the shade, just talking about how much truth they got, and you're sweating it out. Just keep climbing. Because God hadn't planned any defeats. He has not planned any defeats. And regardless of temporary circumstances, ultimately, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. And if we had all the answers to what's bothering us, we would not need faith. If you knew everything, you wouldn't need faith. So God leaves it to where we don't know and we don't understand. And then the only thing that can kick in is our faith. I don't care what circumstances or people or anything else say. I, I, I'm honest enough to tell you, I, I've been through a rotten hard place so many times I could give you a guided tour. Do you like them? No. Are they fun? No. But there's no waste in God's economy. Not one of those experiences was lost. You, you, you just have to keep, you have to keep your lesson and throw away the expression. You just don't hold on to what you went through, but keep the lessons out of it. What we keep complaining about is what we went through. Well, look, get your lessons and throw the expression away and say, Thank God I learned this, I learned that, I learned the other. I thought I already knew it, but I didn't. Just come by to tell you, you may be between a rock and a hard place, but Jesus, your Lord, is still in control. And he knows exactly how it feels because he's been there and he came out of it. And you know where the last time they saw him? He was on a fleecy cloud going up to heaven. He went from a rock to a fleecy cloud. Ooh, and the Bible said, as he was taken away, he's coming again. And the Bible said, we're going to see him as he is. And the Bible said, as he is, so shall we be. It may be rock now, but sun, look out. Sky, here I come. Fleecy clouds, I'm going beyond you to the city where the Lamb is the light and that's the high expression that I'm looking for and I'm not going to let anything keep me from making that a holy city. Let's praise Him again. Anybody between a rock and a hard place? Anybody want to come down here and let the devil know that you're still a climbing? 
I'm still a climbing. Here I am. I'm in a straight place. I maybe just came out of one or I'm going into one. But bless God, here I am. 